Welcome to Icons in the Making. I'm your host, Heather Stern, CMO at Lippincott, the creative consultancy behind some of the world's best brands. Join me as I sit down with the leaders of today's most influential brands. You'll hear stories of transformation and walk away with a new perspective on what it means to be an icon. This is Icons in the Making. When Domino's opened its first store in 1960, it essentially invented the idea of food delivery, the on-demand concept that's now prevalent in almost every industry. Nearly 20,000 international locations later, Domino's has transformed itself from a pizza place to a tech titan. From the revolutionary online tracker to the ability to order pizza through your voice assistant, your smart TV, and even a tweet, the brand is laser-focused on serving up food faster, safer, with less friction, and in a more magical way than anyone else. To give us a glimpse inside this tech company with a pizza obsession is Kate Trumbull, Senior Vice President of Brand and Product Innovation for Domino's. Although Kate has been with the brand for over a decade, she continues taking risks, thinking outside the box, and inventing new ways to surprise and delight customers. With that, welcome Kate. Thank you, Heather. It's great to be with you. Now, I know we were talking earlier, you have three children, do they think you make pizzas for a living or do they really know all the amazing things you're doing for the brand? Oh, they definitely believe I make pizzas and they think that is the coolest job in the world. They tell everyone when there's pizza at school lunch, they say, "This my mom made this pizza. So <laughs> any, any pizza that there is that you've Doesn't made. Doesn't matter. I, I love that. Yeah. yeah. Similarly, I think I mentioned I have two boys and they thought the fact that I was talking to Domino's <laughs> was like the most amazing thing. They're obsessed. So pizza is one of the most universally loved and accessible foods. What is it about Domino's that people are obsessed with and love? And how does that tie into the brand's purpose? Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a controversial way to start this interview, but I've got to say pizza is the best product in the world by far. There's no comparison. And I think it's there are many reasons, right? It's it's incredibly nostalgic. It's emotional. It's tied to so many key milestones in a person's life. It brings people together, right? It's it's the first meal in a new home. It's a reason to have a party. It's a you lose the big game or you win the big game. Yeah. What's always there? It, it's pizza. It's shareable. It's a brainstorming food. It's there for you late night if you're at work or you're out late night with your friends having a blast. Literally, pizza transcends class, status, and culture. It's currency. It magically appears at your door. And even I think about myself, my first child, I was in labor for 30 hours, right? Long, long time. And I will never forget, we ordered Domino's for the doctors and nurses, right? I was having my big delivery and I wanted to make sure they had uh, support. So I associate those moments and memories with pizza. We believe strongly that pizza can make every moment better. And we're committed to delivering high quality, high value pizza to all people for all moments. I think when we think about who we are, we talk a lot internally about pizza sauce runs through our veins. You think about 350,000 people across the world working for Domino's. It's this obsession. It's this passion. And we're out to prove that we're the most passionate people about pizza on the planet. A big part of our ethos and our value system is actions speak louder than words. So it's a constant 
discussion, no matter if you're in marketing or you're in innovation or you're in finance, wherever you are in our company, we're taking action to prove what we believe and making sure that we're showing up as a company that does things that you wouldn't expect from a pizza company that are incredibly surprising and unexpected. Give me some of the examples. Yeah, yeah, let me give some examples. So it kind of starts with the national ad campaign we had when we said and admitted that our pizza sucks, right? Mm. And then we we introduced a completely new recipe. We created a, a fleet of delivery cars that were purpose-built. They literally were built to deliver pizzas, right? That was what every detail of those cars was about with the, the warming oven, for example. Yeah. We made it possible for you to order pizza just by tweeting an emoji of pizza, the first to do e-commerce on Twitter, on social media. We paved potholes so you can get your pizza home safely. We tipped our carryout customers for being their own delivery drivers. And I think most recently, making it possible for you to order pizza with your mind, just like Eleven from Stranger Things. It's really fun to, to be part of a company that wants to keep proving our, our passion in unexpected ways. Those are all great examples. And when you speak about something that in a way, as much as I love it, is something functional, it really does have a ton of emotion around it. And the way you talk about it is evident of that. Tell me about your role, because you've had a lot of different senior leadership positions at the company. And now it's this combination of brand and innovation, which is core to what we believe at Lippincott in terms of those being not too disparate areas, but two sides of the same coin. So talk about your role, what you're focused on right now, and how you see the synergies between brand and innovation. It's a a great question. You know, my current role, I have advertising, product innovation, media, strategic sales. I think about innovation as part of everything we do, right? You have to be constantly problem solving and looking way ahead into the future of what strategically your business needs to be doing. And that's just the mindset here. And I personally think whether it's marketing or brand or innovation, the company is better when everyone realizes that they can bring new thinking and new ideas to the table. And it's a safe space to do that. I do think this idea of test and learn and take risks and fail fast is everyone talks about that, yeah. but it only exists if you're you're constantly doing it and people see the examples of it. We're so data-driven. We're so interested in testing, whether it's A-B testing, testing small-scale technologies and innovations in our stores. I just think COVID has accelerated the pace of change. So even when advertising used to be like an eight-month window, to go from idea to, to on air, we learned that you can do things so much faster and that you have to because supply chain and operations were against up against the wall with so many constraints. We had to be ready for anything. In the pandemic, obviously, in a way, we are talking about it as if it's a thing of the past, but it's kind of still here, though I feel like we're in a new phase of it. It was a really challenging time for many How did the brand evolve during this time? You began to speak a little bit about just even more experimentation, condensed timelines. What else do you think, looking back at the last two years, you learned as a leader and the brand and how the brand evolved? Looking back on the business, as the pandemic began in early 2020, our delivery sales skyrocketed, right? People did not want to leave their house. They Mm -hmm. felt unsafe. It was exciting, right, to see 
sales like that, but it was a ton of stress and pressure on operations and supply chain. And it was crazy because we were promoting things that I never in a million years would have thought we would ever be talking about as RTBs, like the temperatures of our ovens and Mm -hmm. the fact that we do this kind of sanitation. I mean, the things we were filming were just kind of bizarre, but we were trying to be relevant in that that moment of fear and safety. In everything we did, we had to launch contactless delivery and make sure that the pizzas at your door, we created a pizza pedestal because we believe your pizza should be on a pedestal, right? Not just put down on the ground. And so there's always moments of trying to innovate even in those reactionary high crisis times. We did like basically overnight create Domino's car side delivery, where we literally deliver the pizza to your car. And you can say in the digital experience, whether you want it in your trunk or you want it through the passenger door, we were really trying to meet the needs of the time. It was exciting from a, you know, it was high stress, but I remember very vividly, we, I got on a call with the agency and we wrote, we co-wrote a brief together and Mm. we decided like, okay, here are all the emotions and tensions consumers are feeling. And who do we want to be in this moment for our consumers? And we really came down to a very simple truth that we just wanted to to help. Yeah. So then you're looking at what, how does pizza help? And at that moment, right in the beginning of the pandemic, right? Like a lot of people lost jobs, all the restaurants closed. So we immediately filmed literally on iPads in stores, our franchisees talking from the heart about the fact that we're hiring and we're there for them. And it was production-wise terrible, but so authentic and genuine. And the message just was the right message at the the right moment. So you learn a ton of things, but it's about really staying close to where the consumer and the and culture is and figuring out what about us can help. How can we come through if there are tensions and problems and resolve them through pizza? Wow, that's amazing just to even think about the moment of, of co-creating this brief. And, and as you said, you've done some amazing campaigns and there was something quite simple about this one, but that it was really meaningful for customers and for the brand. You know, you were talking about all of your employees and everybody playing a role in contributing to ideas, in taking the ethos of the brand forward. How do you actually do that, right? I mean, we often will say like brand doesn't sit in a corner or in a department. It really should flow through everything. Are there any ways that you make sure that that happens? How do you get all those voices and everybody kind of moving in the same direction? As we've grown tremendously as a company, it does get harder and harder. I think we try to keep our our structure pretty flat. And there's a ton of ways that we overlap with different departments. I think if everyone is clear on the goals, right? We Again, we run two different businesses. We run a delivery business. We run a carryout business completely different consumer set and and different consumer needs and barriers. And so making sure different parts of the company are also structured kind of like we are on brand from a carry out and delivery side, mm-hmm. then their roadmaps and pipelines of what they're doing can really connect with the stories that we eventually want to tell. So there's going to be innovations that are back of house or operational or for store team members that just won't resonate with consumers but we're very closely connected with those teams. And we have a process around brainstorming, around concepting, around kind of testing our ideas to ensure that, you know, everyone has a seat at the table 
and that the best idea wins. The cross-functional teams really understand the consumer research and Mm -hmm. understand the consumer. And we are doing a good job sharing that and also ensuring we're constantly doing the research and staying close to that consumer. I think the better odds that you're going to get more ideas that are going to eventually turn into things that could be consumer-facing national windows. Essentially, you're a tech company with a pizza obsession. And there's been a lot that has been written about and studied as it relates to the technology innovations and the role digital is playing in furthering your brand mission. Tell me more about that idea. It's hard to believe it, but the Domino's Pizza Tracker launched 20 years ago. Oh my goodness. And it was revolutionary at the time, right? No one had done it. When I joined the brand, I mean, every focus group I was in, consumers were talking about the pizza tracker in funny ways. They're like, that's how I know when to put my pants on, the pizza tracker, right? <laughs> so, like, it's just like such a part of who we are. It was kind of the start of the revolution for technology. And I think another kind of secret sauce that we had that at the time, 20, 15 years ago, I don't think was true of other companies is our heads, like the top people in IT and the top people in marketing, were a team. Mm. There was incredible trust. There was no blaming. like, And it just allowed the opportunity to take risks. And so Tracker was a success. It gave a little confidence that we could do a little bit more, a little bit more. But I think the biggest drivers of that mentality and the fact that we're known that way started with benchmarking outside of our category, right? So most companies... They look at their competitive set. So you'd say for us at the time we were number two, you'd go, okay, Pizza Hut, what are they doing in tech? What's Papa John's doing? What's Little Caesars doing? Maybe some regional players. We kind of threw that playbook out and said, no, no, no. We want to behave like a technology company versus a pizza company. So Mm -hmm. let's look outside at what they're doing and what's Amazon doing, right? What's Google doing at the time? What's Facebook doing? And learning from that and ideating there, I mean, It goes all the way back to having a pizza profile, right? And starting to have data on consumers. Then we built the easy ordering platform, right? So easy order allows us to save data, your credit card, your favorite order, so that it makes it really easy for us to eventually get to our anywhere platforms and and build our loyalty program and all these other pieces that were really critical. But as I reflect, so it's like small wins, a different mindset, Internally in the company, when we started saying we wanted to be a technology or e-commerce company, there were fights, right? Mm. Like a bold, big vision is not something that everyone just accepts easily, Yeah, right? There, there were people who were more closely tied to pizza and product that going, no, 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 we're a product company. We're pe-. And of course we're a product company. Of course we're a pizza company. But there was so much to unlock by being ahead of the curve with technology. At the time, we were about 20% of our sales were digital, And we decided, okay, to be an e-commerce company, you need to get to 50% Mm -hmm. of your sales, right? Because half your sales are digital. You're an e-commerce company, obviously. And so when the whole, the teams that were part of this bought into that, the ideas started flowing. Like how many ideas come out of that? For everything from tweeting your pizza with an emoji to having a 50% off boost week, all the different ways that you can take action to help us hit that goal. And then know along the way that you're getting closer and closer and closer. So I feel like a lot of brands are reactionary. They're like, oh my gosh, this is happening. What do we do here? We were able to put a far out goal and 
patiently and relentlessly chase it. We just got more sophisticated year after year, learning and creating new innovation, all the A-B testing we do. I love that idea of redefining who your competitive set is and not just looking at your category, but really beyond the category, which allows you to transform. How are you doing against that goal? Where are you now? Oh, we're, we're way past that goal. Yeah, I assumed. 80% of our sales are digital. It's incredible. That's our storefront. Our digital experiences are our storefront. And I think it's very top of mind. I think we, so we had that internal rally crying goal and it seems so crazy. Well, eventually the media started saying it. And I think we've certainly proven that that's who we are. I laugh. I remember um, when we launched our TV ads around our Dom voice ordering is exactly the same, like literally the same time Apple and Google had their ads on about it. So it just, it's pretty amazing that a pizza company would be in that same conversation and, and on track. I think technology continues to be incredibly important. It's evolving and changing and, and how it can make an impact. We think a lot about how to keep growing ourselves and pushing ourselves as a logistics company, actually. Um, we have a different competitor set than ever before with the third-party aggregators that have disrupted even more quickly through COVID. And so how do we kind of marry technology and back-of-house operations to keep unlocking bold innovation that has a positive step change experience for our team members, but also for our consumers. It's exciting to hear of so many of these things that have come to fruition and, as you said, surpassed your goals, but it's daunting, right? Because now it's like the bar keeps rising and being able to keep up with what is happening in technology. What are consumers doing, thinking, what do they want? How do you and your team continue to stay ahead, continue to be proactive versus reactive? You don't do it alone. We have great partners and agencies and tech companies that we're so close to, and we're always sharing best practices. Mm -hmm. We're looking at trends and trend mapping. We're investigating technologies and looking outside of ourselves. We're looking globally at our Domino's master franchisees and some of the really big markets and the really interesting things they're doing and how we can drive scale together. To me, there's always the next frontier, right? There's places that we don't, we don't play in as much as, you know, our bread and butter is carry out and delivery and our bread and butter is weekend, dinner time, rush. Like that's when we drive so, so many of our orders. So there's so much opportunity, Heather. And because consumers have changed so much over the last couple of years and different competitors have evolved a ton, I actually think that level of competition is a good thing to keep pushing us to take risk and to invest where we need to invest. On the test and learn and continually taking risks, you know, there are clearly things that never end up making it to market or go out into the world and they're not quite right. Can you give me an example of, of something that you guys tried and it didn't work and how you use that as a stepping stone to the next thing? Not everything works. And in a perfect world, you're doing the testing ahead of time to mitigate your risk. Historically, a lot of things were tried at Domino's, whether it's what I like to fondly refer to now as spinovation. So mm. lots of LTOs and this crazy thing and things that would give us news, but that weren't purpose driven or really thought out or data driven. And that was years ago, but you got to keep 
having those conversations because it's very tempting to go down that path when you need new news. And at the same time, I would say, Heather, like, especially someone who's been here 11 years and we've just gone through this huge global shift, I'm a big proponent of challenging sacred cows. So you, you come here for 11 years, we all learn all the things that are true and not true. You can't do this. This is not how we work. But then they start to be really restrictive. So new people come into the company and they say, well, what about this? No, that's not what we do here. And sacred cows that exist here, my gosh, we realize there are so many. We actually had this amazing session with our marketing and innovation teams where we literally just started throwing out all the truths. And it's important to really reinvestigate them and be willing to admit that they might not be right. And maybe we need to test them again. And the world has changed. Like I keep saying, consumers have changed. Our competitive set has changed. And what might work now maybe didn't work before. So I think that's a really healthy part of innovation too, is challenging all your own assumptions and truths within your organization. Yeah, that's a really good one. It takes courage because those are the things that we kind of rest on and look to as the beacons, but those things can change over time. As you look forward, you know, you are in such a position of of strength and admired for all the things that you're doing. Like, what's next? What are you working on that you can share, or at least from a thematic standpoint that you're excited about? Well, I'm excited about a lot of things for next year. We've gone through two years of having to pivot and react and supply chain can't do this. This other priority has to happen because of all the high costs happening. And so I feel so confident that we've finally kind of settled in this place where we've had time Mm -hmm. to plan out ideas and chapters and technology that I think continues to prove that we are the champions of of delivery on the delivery side. And then on the carryout side, we're faster than you think. We are really fast at carryout. And I think bringing innovation and creativity to help that come to life for consumers is, is going to be important. There's product news in the future that I think is going to be incredibly well-received and ties to nostalgia and is just the best parts of pizza. That's great. I'll be waiting to see some of these things come to fruition. You've referenced, you know, the world has changed and it's continued to change. And being driven by what is the customer want and need, how do we meet him or her where they're at, What is that always on kind of marketing look like? I have to be transparent here. It is a balance, right? Because we're so big and we have two different businesses and so many pieces and parts, we really do have to plan ideally with six to nine months of planning, especially if there's big technology pieces to it. So that's happening. However, we feel very free to keep our pulse on what's happening in culture and be timely about our thinking. I think there's different ways we look at it. Cultural tensions are huge. And I think you just being on social media, being a human in this crazy time, it's not hard. You don't need to go outside yourself to write down what people are feeling, what mm-hmm. what are some of the dynamics for the brand, the category, the consumer. And I think whether it's an insight, a truth, a tension, if we take what's best about Domino's and we're able to resolve one of those. It gets the press to take attention and 
gets consumers to really listen and to break through all the clutter that there is. But some of the, the ones that I think about are like paving for pizza. People still talk to me about that, right? And part of the tension there, I mean, for us, it was never a political thing. It was because of our, our just passion and love for pizza, how far we'd go to make sure you can get your pizza safely home. But what was happening for consumers in the back of their mind is just frustration that government and politics don't do the things they should be doing so far that a, a pizza company has to step in, right? Yeah. And so right now we've been running the inflation relief deal and that's really another moment where we could take a, an offer that we've never done nationally for all day parts and try to help make a difference. But transparently, costs are up. I mean, costs are up for food basket and for labor. And so everyone's raising prices because they have to. Our franchisees have to take price in different places. We took price in our national offer earlier in the year. So it's not that we haven't been having to do that too, but we looked for, is there something we can do? to say we see you and to try to help. At the end of the day, like we're, when we're really on our game, it's taking a common trope or misconception and doing the absolute opposite. Going back to the pizza turnaround and government was doing shady things and, and us just being honest and real at that time when none of that was happening, I think just set a foundation that we can keep taking action like that. Even surprise freeze, which which took place last year, it's like, aggregators charging all these crazy fees and not knowing why and burying information, we opted to give away $50 million in free product. So just trying to find ways that we can come at things differently than is sort of expected or, or others are doing it. Back to your point around actions speak louder than words and the kind of ethos of the brand and what you want to bring out there, actually taking these steps that are not just great communication campaigns that are are really tangible. And many people probably are surprised to hear of some of these amazing things that you're doing. I want to pivot a little bit to partnerships because you've had some incredible partnerships from Stranger Things to Google. How do you approach these collaborations and partnerships? What have you learned from some of the more successful ones? And do you have an ideal dream collaborator that you'd love to get on board? I love that question because hopefully someone's listening and yeah. we can make it happen. <laughs> so we don't do a ton of partnerships. We're really very discerning in this space and we can be difficult to work with in the sense that we're just so passionate and clear about we don't want to do spinovation. We don't want to do gimmicks. Like we want to do something that is really authentic. So it's about reaching audiences where they are and defined more by psychographics than demographics. I think with the Stranger Things partnership, there were so many elements to it. That team and myself and my team, we talked for months and months and months about who we were and mm. what what the key authentic DNA of Stranger Things is and what the key authentic DNA of Domino's is. And our whole push was, how do we do something that neither of us could do alone? Mm-hmm. That's the bar. And yep. then how do we do something that's so unusual and unexpected and, and not what everyone's done before? And it was hard because I think they came to this moment for this season with like a very clear picture of what we do. And we were like, we actually want to go this way. And But it was cool because we spent the time really building the trust of like what was important to each side. And then we went through a lot of ebbs and flows and challenges and we could handle all of it because we were in it. 
Yeah. We were in it no matter what. It was positive in the sense like we need to start finding even more ways to reach Gen Z. They're not watching TV and it's harder to reach them when it's so fragmented digitally. And one of the, I remember one of the like, we couldn't get into the contract, but I always felt like, gosh, if we make something authentic enough, Netflix and Stranger Things will post it on their channel just because they believe in it. And right. like, they're so protective and so thoughtful about every single thing that that was a pretty lofty goal. And so we knew it had worked when they decided to post it. And their their fanatics were saying, oh my gosh, is this a deleted scene? Like they thought it was literally part of the season. So that got people talking and it didn't, everyone was like, this doesn't feel like an ad at all. Like that was, we didn't want to be an ad. Even the mention in, in one of their episodes was like kind of, dogging on dominoes, which just felt authentic, you know? So it just inspired a lot of bespoke ways of doing a partnership. Like we even had our throwback retro boxes with all these Easter eggs from the show and a QR code to download the mind ordering app. And it's like 200 million boxes in the world that got a ton of conversation. So we love partnerships. They're really hard. You have to really trust and have that relationship and really understand which each side seizes success and then work creatively together to make it a win for both sides. So we are working on one for next year that I I think will be will be breakthrough and will be pretty broadly appealing. You asked me about a dream partnership and I'll keep it pretty broad. We really want to take a leapfrog and get very, very involved in the gaming space. But mm-hmm. again, we don't want to do it the way that a lot of other brands have done it. So If anyone's listening and wants to partner, give me a call. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Pivoting a little bit, you have this history at the brand and have seen it evolve so much, but you, I believe, started at Procter & Gamble. And, you know, in a way, that is a great learning ground for just thinking about deep understanding of the customer and how to be purpose-led. What did you take from that experience and do you draw on that at all in what you're doing today? Yeah, I feel so fortunate that I I started my marketing career at Procter & Gamble. I take so much away. I mean, consumer is boss, period, period, period. And the, the rigor and passion for research and for product innovation and being the best is second to none. And it's one of those cultures where you're constantly going to brown bag lunches and to sessions to train and develop Mm. and to learn more about, you know, when you have over a hundred brands, this brand can do a thing on purpose-led brand building. And this brand can talk about being scrappy and entrepreneurial. And they do such a great job with training and developing marketing talent and keeping them really engaged and hungry. Some of the simple things you learn at PNG is like, you've got to keep the benefit on the brief and in the communication simple. Every time that we try to overcomplicate something, we learn it doesn't work. Yeah. And just like the fundamentals of brand building. Yeah. The what and the how and size of prize. I mean, I could go on and on and on, but there are things that absolutely stay with you. There are things that I've brought here and I bring along and train my team. So, but I, again, you have to give credit to where credit's due. I mean, I did like, they'd have three-day courses on marketing communications and how to copy comment, how to write, how to write communications, emails, the one pagers that they do. I mean, that kind of 
investment and in, in development really matters. And I think that's what workers in the workforce today, especially Gen Z and young millennials, like they, they want to feel invested in that way. And I think one of the topics that I've been including on almost every episode is about first the continual changing role of marketing and what a marketer is expected to do, which is really runs the gamut and the war for talent, so to speak, and how to continually attract and retain amazing talent. Is there something that you are always looking for when you're hiring or a question that you ask that's like always insightful in terms of really getting deep into who a person is? That's a great question. I remember when I used to be interviewed, my question that I always ask is like, describe the culture in one word. And it was always fascinating to see when you really felt forced to pick one word to describe the culture. The thing I do in interviews personally is I want it to be a, a conversation. I don't want it to feel so formal. So I ask a question and then I ask them to ask me a question. And then we go back and forth. If they're really passionate and curious about the brand and just about marketing, it's very easy for them to keep coming with questions, just like the conversation we're having today. If asked, how would you describe the culture at Domino's in one word? Oh my gosh, you turned it on me. <laughs> so the one word that came to mind was was family, actually. Like wow. it really feels like we're all on one brand. We're all one team. We're so connected to our stores. Like if you don't make it, bake it or take it, you support those who do. That's a thing we say. I don't know. It just, it, not everyone fits here. It's a mm. special place. And I, and I loved PNG, but my gosh, I mean, I've never met so many type A people. Like it was a very, it was not such a warm, collaborative family atmosphere. Yeah. And I think if you're going to spend all your time, a lot of your time here when you're not with your family, you want to really love the people. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I think, a, look, a lot of it does come from the top down. And so just kudos to you for being able to build and sustain that kind of culture. I do want to end with a question I ask all my guests, which I always learn something new when I ask, but who is your icon? Heather, that is a hard question. I know it is. There are many people I think are iconic and I am inspired by, but I don't know them. It's interesting at this moment that you're catching me in my life. My icon is working parents, Mm. working parents and single parents. I think the ability to like give your all to your job and have your partner give their all to their job and then really try to make sure that you're raising your kids with great values and they're feeling loved and supported and connected to you. Doing all of that all the time is it's hard. It's crazy. It's all-encompassing. And I guess in that, I would say my mom, Michelle, or my kids call her Nona, Mm -hmm. Italian for grandmother. She's an icon to me. I mean, she was a working mom and she created this example. I always felt like I was loved. I was special. She always told me I could do anything I wanted to do. And I really believed her. She gave me the confidence that you can do both and do it really, really well. If I look at it with a Domino's lens, it's it's our general managers of our stores. I mean, these are the people in the pandemic who no one wanted to leave their house and they were frontline. They yeah. were there making the pizzas, taking the risk. They love their teams. They develop their teams. I know many of them and they really 
they're the face of the brand every day. So, and they're the future franchisees that have a chance to live the American dream and, and, you know, eventually be very successful business owners. So I know I was supposed to do one, but I couldn't help it. Well, they were both great examples. And, and I echo everything that you said about working parents. And I know, I hope I'm setting the right example for my kids. And as you say, work can be all encompassing, but you are also wanting to just create that loving and attentive environment at home too. And it's hard because you're just pulled in so many directions. So again, hats off to you and everything that you're doing and all of the the roles that you play and all the hats that you wear. I just loved talking to you about everything that you're passionate about and all of these things that feel obvious, but really aren't this idea of challenging the sacred cows and nurturing your teams. I just want to thank you so much for spending time with us this morning. I don't know if it's quite pizza time yet, but I think you would say anytime is pizza time. Anytime is pizza time. That's exactly right. Thank you so much, Heather. I really enjoyed this. Thanks for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, share with your colleagues and friends and subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen. And if you're feeling really generous, leave us a five-star rating. Thanks, and I'll see you next time. Thank you.